Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Hauk, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. What's up, guys? Welcome to today's episode. I am chatting with an absolutely brilliant young lady by the name of Sohee Lee. Today's conversation is pure fire. We have an opportunity to chat all about the psychology of eating, how to really create a sustainable strategy when it comes to trying to change your body, and really diving into the mindset that it takes to make sure that whatever you're doing with that body recomposition, you're approaching it from a way that is going to make it stick forever. So this conversation conversation you guys are going to absolutely love but a little more about Sohi she is the founder and head coach at Sohi Fit Systems she's been coaching in the virtual realm since 2012 and also coaches at her in-person facility in San Diego she's got a great book by the name of Eat Lift Thrive and in today's conversation we dive into what that is all about she also has a BA in human biology and an MS in psychology and she tells us in today's conversation that she's also going to be chasing after that PhD, this time in the strength and conditioning space. So she is really rooted on evidence-based approaches to nutrition, exercise, and psychology, and she does an amazing job at putting together sustainable strategies to really help people create the best life possible. So that's enough for me, guys. Let's get into today's amazing episode, my conversation with Sohi Lee. Hey, Sohi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. It's good to connect with you. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast. It is awesome to have you here, Sohi. Thank you. Let's get right into today's conversation. And I want to kick things off just by talking about your background. I know that you really struggled with an eating disorder in the past. So let's just start there by having you share your experience. Yeah. So I guess it's been so long that I almost feels like a lifetime ago, but I did struggle with um, anorexia and, and then also bulimia at the same time back in my early teen years, 13, 14 years old. And that was back when... I didn't know anything about nutrition, didn't know really much of anything about exercise or proper training, anything like that. And I was very much of the mindset that the less you ate and the more time you spent exercising, and of course back then it was all about cardio, that the skinnier you'd be and the skinnier you would be, the happier you'd be. And uh, it was very much ingrained in me, perhaps it was the culture I was raised in, that skinnier was prettier. And that's what everyone was always striving for. We had my teenage peers were all dieting, it was all the norm, so I was super ingrained in that world. And it um, was a very you know gradual decline where I would start skipping lunch and then I would start getting compliments on, oh, you're looking skinnier, you look so great. And it was the synonymous like, you know, you look better, you should keep going. And I even had, I remember one time one of my friend's mothers tell me, and she hadn't seen me for a while, she goes, um, I was 90 pounds at this point. So I'm, I was 5'2", 90 pounds. So, um, and previously I was, you know, 13, 14 years old, a healthy 100 something pounds back then, which had a really great appetite and everything like that. I had already lost 10 pounds, which when you're short, it's kind of a noticeable difference. And she, the mother said to me, you look so good. You look even better if you lost 10 more pounds is basically what she had said to me. And that stuck with me. And, uh, the following summer I lost I did lose the, the extra 10 pounds by completely, you know, going multiple days without eating, um, doing three hours of cardio a day and binge eating every two or three days because I couldn't control myself and things like that. And it was very much this really vicious cycle of not understanding why everything had to be so hard with my nutrition, with my workouts, not enjoying anything I was doing. My entire thoughts were consumed by what I couldn't eat 
and dreading my next workout. And it was just not a fun life. And uh, I remember one morning I woke up and uh, I didn't have this major epiphany or anything. I just had this thought that I don't want to live like this. That's really all it was, is I don't want to live like this for the rest of my life. And at the time, I didn't understand how it was possible to, you know, eat enough and eat well and feel good and actually change your body, your physique in a way that you liked the way that you look and so on and so forth. Um, But that was, I guess, the very first step in the right direction of realizing, okay, this isn't working for me. I don't want to live the rest of my life like this. So I slowly started eating more. Definitely continued to struggle with binge eating, bulimia for a few years after that, but I was no longer anorexic. So I, you know, slowly put the weight back on. My personality was coming back. I was my fun self again. And um, I continued to struggle with this until I turned 18. I was in high school, senior in high school, my second semester. I stumbled across Oxygen Magazine, which uh, many of us know is a very popular fitness magazine at the grocery store. And I don't remember who it was, but it was a very popular fitness model on the cover, some, some woman. And she looked very muscular. She looked lean. She looked beautiful. And I was so amazed that there was someone who could look like this. And it was the first time I realized that as a woman, you do not have to be a professional athlete to look that way. And I fell in love with that look. Um, I became obsessed with learning about lifting weights. That was my first introduction 11 years ago. Uh, I started learning about, you know, clean eating. (laughs) And I feel like that's kind of the cycle that so many of us go through is, you know, binge and restrict and so on. And then we discover clean eating. And then we learn about proteins, carbs, and fats. And then we learn about um, the importance of calories and macros and things like that. So I was very much in the clean eating world. I was reading the clean eating Bible. I was, uh, you know, spending two to three hours lurking on different fitness forums every single day because I was so fascinated by this new world that I had just discovered. And that's really how I started lifting weights and slowly started to change my mindset from cardio, cardio, cardio to oh, I guess lifting is good for women too, but also still doing way too much cardio, still not eating enough food. And it's been a you know several year long journey to get to where I am now where, um, long story short, I am now no longer in the religious clean eating camp per se. I um, learned more about the importance of quality of life, about um, behavior change, about how important your mindset is when it comes to achieving your fitness goals. And I was a pre-med in undergrad and halfway through my junior year, I quit pre-med because I realized it wasn't really what I loved and bounced around different career paths, continually coming back to fitness. And I didn't know at the time, I feel like the online entrepreneurship world was still very, very new back in the day. This was back in like 2011, 2012, very, very new. Um, didn't really understand that you could build a career for yourself online doing things like this um, because in my mind it was, oh, the only option for fitness is to become a full-time personal trainer and that's not quite what I wanted to do. So anyway, I um, ended up starting a blog on my own because I noticed that I was reading a lot of other male fitness professionals blog posts but I wasn't seeing that many women and the ones that I did see weren't really talking about psychology and habits and things like that. The things that was, that were really starting to interest me. So I started blogging in 2012, early 2012, and that kind of took off on its own. And I bounced around from different jobs here and there. I took on an internship at Chrissy performance as my first thing out of college. Then I took on a full-time job at, in Connecticut at a strength training facility. Then I moved to New York and so on and so forth. And eventually I built up my online coaching business. I was working with in-person clients um, part-time, which was also great. And I eventually wanted more of an intellectual challenge to what I was doing. So I went back to school to get my master's degree in um, the psychology of eating behavior, which I loved. And I was able to write my master's thesis on um, dichotomous thinking toward food, which is black and white mentality. And my research did show that the more black and white you thought when it came to food, the more you tend to struggle with um, maintaining a, a lower body weight. So you had higher BMI, you had higher incidences of binge eating, higher 
um, more eating disorder symptoms and behaviors and all the stuff that I had predicted. And it was really cool to, to find this. So I'm super, super big on moving away from the black and white mentality. And I like to say getting comfortable in the gray area. So I talk a lot about on my platforms nowadays, a lot about moderation <laughs> and how you can absolutely achieve some pretty amazing um, physique changes if that's your goal with moderate methods. If you're super, super consistent, how you don't have to utilize extremes to get there. And that's very much my platform now. That's, that's what I'm re- feeling really, really strongly about nowadays. Mm, amazing, Sohi. There's so much that I want to unpack from right there. But really, when it comes to the psychology of eating, it's really that eating is more than just macros and it's more than just numbers, right? Is that kind of what you're getting oh, at in terms of there's so many other reasons why we eat? And I think that's the root of it is that we can feel bad for eating a certain thing when in actuality, we're very normal just for eating every different type of food. It's not that eating one food makes us better or one food makes us worse. There's really just that escape from really the reasons why we eat, right? Yes, absolutely. That's why I really, it really bugs me when you have people like, well, food is just fuel. And I actually, I used to say this back when I first discovered clean eating and I had this air of superiority. Like I was looking down on everyone who didn't eat clean like me, even though I couldn't even explain what clean eating was you know, adequately to people who asked about it. But the, the thing is, there's so much more to food than just fuel. There's, it's culture, it's, it's, there's an emotional connection to it. Like how many of us eat mac and cheese and think of our childhood? Um, that's definitely me. And, you know, I have clients, I have one client, for example, right now who um, was, was raised, she was taught that you should suppress your negative emotions. If you feel anxious, sad, you are not allowed to express those emotions. So she learned to turn to food when she felt those ways. And she's now dealing with it as an adult still. And that's really hard. And to tell someone like that, hey, it's just food. And to be so callous is really missing the point and failing to empathize with what really goes on mm-hmm. with people's relationship with food. It's not helpful at all. No, absolutely. And even like food could have been that friend that was there for them when nobody else was there for them, right? Like there's those relationships that can be so deep rooted, that can be decades long. So to just think like, oh, don't view food that way. You're just really, really naive as a coach that like that is how they actually feel. Yeah. And I think um, there there's this gap. You know, I think there are a lot of people who fall into fitness um, when, you know, if, if let's say they have really great genetics and they just happen to be in great shape all the time and they've never had any issues with food and workouts have always been so easy and fun for them. So for them, fitness has always been effortless. And I think, you know, obviously in some ways it's really great, but at the same time, if they're not educating themselves properly, they end up really not understanding that the general population does not work the same way. And for them to be like, well, it's easy for me, so why isn't it easy for you? I think this happens a lot where they're like, well, just try harder. Why don't you just try harder or just do it? And I, um, actually, that's my that's my biggest pet peeve when it comes to a worthless, uh, useless fitness advice that people give to others is just try harder because it so misses the point. There are so many people who are struggling big time. They are trying very, very hard. And for people like that to just say, well, just don't eat that or just don't do it. All it does, I feel like, is discourage and frustrate uh, the people that they're supposed to be helping. So anyway, that I guess that was a son of a tangent rant. Um, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's beautiful. And that was actually the thing that resounds in my mind too. The just do it mentality is so frustrating. Um, and I find it also so frustrating from the coach who says, hey, why can't you just get your compliance up? And right. I think – as, as a coach, it's it's our goal to give clients sustainable ways to diet and sustainable ways to go through a body recomposition that isn't as simple as let's just increase your compliance, but more so let's come up with a strategy that's actually something that you can sustain and that you feel as though you can be compliant and successful with. For sure. Yeah. And some, sometimes it is definitely where you have to get them to change their behaviors or set up their habits and whatnot so that they can meet the current program you've prescribed for them. But again, like what you said, sometimes you have to change the program itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to fit the individual. Big time. 
Big time, big time. Um, yeah, so in terms of some of the things you were talking about there with the moderation or going about our nutrition from a moderate way, let's just run through some ways in which we might be able to do that. So for example, like let's say, let's run through like a full day and maybe some ideas on how we can approach a meal more moderately versus trying to make it like clean, clean, clean. Sure, okay. So the first thing is to um, move away from that type of language, obviously, because, you know, the, the, the cheat meal mentality, the clean eating mentality almost necessarily implies that if you're eating junk food or in, if you're indulging, you're cheating and cheating, you know, you feel guilt, you feel remorse and things like that. And then the clean eating is the whole like, well, if you're not eating clean, you're eating dirty. Uh, so there's, it, it creates this, this dichotomy by definition, just by, by using those terms. So what I like to do is think of, uh, put together a program that, requires that the client change his or her life as little as possible. Now, of course, they will have to make some concessions and they will have to make some lifestyle modifications. That's just the way it is, um, especially, you know, for the rest of their life, they're going to have to change the way they eat. However, if, if we can match their nutrition program most closely to their current meal frequency, their current preference for high carb or high fat, um, if we can include foods that they enjoy eating, on a regular basis so they don't feel deprived. And if we can get them to like the way they eat as much as possible, then they're more likely to adhere to that diet for longer. If they're adhere to their diet for longer, they see better results over time. And this is shown in the research consistently over and over and over. So if you like to practice intermittent fasting, then that's what we should do. If you prefer to eat all throughout the day, then that's what we should do. And, um, if you like to, oh, here's another big one is, is uh, if you like to eat more on the weekends and be more relaxed on the weekends, very, very, I, I would say 80% of my clients utilize this approach where they're more, uh, a lot more strict during the week, Monday to Friday. And then Saturday, Sunday, I give them a higher calorie allotment so they can go out to eat because they can go to social engagement. They can have a, a drink in here or there, but they're still very much on track with their goals where their average weekly calorie intake is where it's supposed to be. So if I can remove as many obstacles as possible um, and make this feel, understanding that, let's say, the, you know, if, assuming the goal is fat loss, fat loss is not supposed to be easy. But if we can remove as many obstacles as possible and make it as easy as we can, your chances of success are much, much greater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel as though when it comes to social settings that the tendency tends to be that oh, well, I already had one drink, so I already blew it. Or I already had this one thing, so I already blew it. So like that mentality, how do we shift away from, oh, I've already blew it because I had this one thing. And then, yeah, do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, I think it's so yeah. often and, and so yeah. often people get into that mindset of, I've already had that one thing, so the day's a write-off. Right, so that is, that is called counter-regulatory eating in the scientific literature, or more colloquially, we call it the what the hell effect, where we're like, well, what the hell, I already ate this, so I might as well finish the rest of the pan of brownies, or whatever it is we're, we're eating, right? And th this is ties in, again, this is the black and white mentality. It's this idea that there's this bright line, that there's, there's this boundary that we're not allowed to cross, but once we cross it, you're, you've, you've already crossed it, so might as well binge or, or, or just go off the rails. Um, but instead of thinking of, of your nutrition as the clear, like this side is where you want to stay and do not cross the other side, it's more of a blurry boundary. So with that kind of stuff, I really like to have a specific plan in place and understand that you're probably going to make mistakes at some point. And when that happens, you have to have a plan set in place beforehand. Okay, so when I accidentally um, have this unplanned indulgence, what am I going to do? Think about that before it actually happens. That way, when it does happen, you're not freaking out. You're like, okay, this plan is set in motion. Event A happened, now I have this event B, I know what to do now. Oh, okay, I'm gonna enjoy that indulgence and move on. Mm -hmm. And not, not let myself feel any remorse. Cool, well, it's an uncomfortable practice and it feels unnatural because I'm so used to doing this other thing where I binge, but Oh, Coach Sohi told me I get good at what I practice. So the more reps I put in here, the easier it's going to get for me over time. So I'm just going to let myself sit with this discomfort and keep trying. And uh, stuff like that helps tremendously. With alcohol in particular, can be very uh, much a slippery slope because it's alcohol. So you, a lot of times, you know, when people get drunk, 
they imbibe too much, they lower their disinhibitions, so then they stop caring about their goals. So a lot of times it's not just the alcohol that gets them in trouble, it's when they're drunk they stop caring, so they start eating all these snacks and things that they normally wouldn't do. So um, I like to have in place what's called implementation intentions, where you have very, very clear and very specific behavior goals for stuff like this. So okay, you know you're gonna drink tonight, what specific drink are you going to have, and how many? How many ounces of wine? How many ounces of the Riesling are you going to have? A six ounce glass of Riesling? Okay, then you're done. Then there's a very clear like, okay, well, I said I won't drink too much, but what does it even mean? Oh, one more drink is fine. I mean, that's what kind of happens with people getting drunk. And then it's just this downward spiral like, where they get more and more drunk and then they keep making excuses and so on and so forth. Um, so with alcohol, it's, it's helpful to to have those clear boundaries for alcohol. Um, but in general, I'm really big on continuing to live your life, continuing to enjoy your social engagements and not cutting them out completely, um, which is what I used to do because I didn't know how to navigate myself around these kinds of situations. And, and building up those skills to where you can indulge and feel fine and enjoy the evening. And um, additionally, one of the major differences between um, people who stay lean year round and those who struggle more with their weight and who are more obese. Um, when they find themselves in like a buffet type setting, the lean people, what they tend to do is they take a few moments to survey their food options first. They look at everything that's available to them and then they have a game plan in their heads of, okay, I'm going to eat this first. I'm going to load up my plate with lean protein and veggies first. And then I'm going to fit in a little bit of that dessert that I love, that looks really good to me. Whereas um, people with higher BMI, what they tend to do is just kind of dive in <laughs> without even thinking and they pile on anything that looks good. So there's a huge difference behaviorally from that, but a lot of this can be can be changed through through building up the right habits. So that that's what I would say for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think it's even building up the trust in yourself as well. I think that's the big the big part because I think so often when people are looking at certain foods, they'll say, oh, well, I can't trust myself when I'm around that. And right. they've, they've created that relationship where certain things, they just are like, oh, I can never have that thing because, the, because there's no trust there. So yeah, absolutely. I agree with what you're saying there, Sohi. So if we're trying to create a sustainable practice when it comes to dieting or when it comes to going through any sort of recomposition of the body, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you think people make other than the black and white thinking yeah um I would say the biggest one is for sure thinking that um yes like you know I understand that we have to be in a calorie deficit to shed body fat so that means that a bigger deficit is better right like it's, it's this mentality that I should be more extreme I should go faster and it seems definitely a lot more exciting but the problem is these people are not thinking of their long-term changes. They're only thinking short-term because they're impatient. And I feel like, especially now, it's really hard because, you know, everyone, we can like overnight an Amazon <laughs> order and it's yeah. tomorrow. And it's like, it's like we're so used to having everything right away and we don't want to have to wait and put in a lot of work to get the changes that we want to see. Um, but especially for people who are already somewhat lean and don't have as much body fat to lose – um, one, they're more likely to rebound, as we know, um, with the more drastic measures that they're utilizing. And two, if you're lean and you're putting yourself in more of a calorie deficit, you are more likely to lose lean body mass, lose lean muscle, which is, I don't know, I know very, very few people who actually say, I want to lose muscle. I have too much muscle. I want less muscle. Um, and that, you know, is very rarely the case. And um, so to be in a moderate deficit is more muscle sparing. And um, also from a post-diet standpoint, um, there's a phenomenon called body fat overshooting where your body will try to make you eat, increase your app. You know, a lot of people find that post-dieting is actually in some ways harder than when they were in fat loss mode. All of a sudden they experience this huge appetite increase, their cravings go through the roof. And in part what's happening is that your body is trying to get you to eat back the calories and get you to gain back the muscle mass that you lost during the dieting phase. And there's recent research showing that your appetite will stay up um, not until you reach your previous pre-dieting body weight or body fat, but it's going to go until you match your pre-dieting muscle mass levels. And usually this happens once you've already gained back way more body fat than you initially had. So you end up 
with higher body fat than when you started, which obviously is a net loss. No one's trying to do that on purpose. Um, so to talk more about more moderate methods and, and, and for me to, you know, on my, on my social media platforms and to show client testimonials and things like that, showing, hey, here's a more moderate rate of progress. Here's a six-month transformation. And here she is two years after that transformation still maintaining that weight loss, um, convincing people to think more, okay, where do I want to be one year from now? Where do I want to be two years from now? What do I want my lifestyle to look like? Instead of, oh, here's this 12-week fitness challenge that I'll lose 30 pounds, but I'll for sure gain it back, but we're not going to talk about that next part, and we're just going to ignore that part. It is definitely an uphill battle, but uh, something that I, I try to try to do, like you know, every every day, mm-hmm. <laughs> every day across all my platforms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you do such a wonderful job of that, Sohi. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're doing great, absolutely. So, what does a moderate caloric deficit look like for somebody yeah. that's listening and they're like, oh well, what in the world is that? I would probably say for the let's say you have maybe you're like slightly overweight or you're already lean. I would say probably like a 300 calorie deficit before you're below your current maintenance intake. And that's obviously going to differ from one person to the next. I will say that there is research showing that um, if you're more obese, let's say you're like 40% body fat or higher, the research does show that a faster initial rate of weight loss bodes better for those individuals for long-term progress in large part because they're able to see visually the changes happening a lot faster in the beginning, which then encourages them to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, I've talked about the paper towel analogy numerous times before. Um, and basically, you know, you have a roll of paper towel. When you take off one sheet, one sheet, one sheet, maybe after, after like two days, you don't really see a visual change, even though you know you're tearing off the paper towel sheets, but it's after you know you're like halfway through the roll. That's when you really start to notice a big difference. And when you have more body fat to lose, it's hard to see those differences because you know five pound body fat loss on someone who's forty percent body fat is way less noticeable than someone who's like one hundred and ten pounds losing five pounds of body fat, right? So for them to see faster initial rates of weight loss is much better. So if you're more obese. You can stand to be in more of extreme of a calorie deficit. Um, I don't typically work with the obese population, so I don't consider that my area of specialty. Um, but my friend, Dr. Spencer Nodolsky, he's a family medicine and obesity doctor. He will oftentimes put his clients on um, obese patients on 1,200, 1,600, 1,800 calorie diets, and they see tremendous progress. And so that works for them. Um, but for everyone else, I would probably say, yeah, just two to 300 calories below your maintenance. For I work primarily with women. For most women, that usually comes out to um, somewhere between 15 to 1800 calories to start. And then very rarely do I ever, ever, ever start anyone more in the 12 to 1300 calorie range because they usually are like pretty active during the day or their body weight is higher. Um, but yeah, usually you don't you don't have to start them out that that low. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what about somebody who's been dieting back and forth year after year and you put them on 1500 or 1800 calories and and that would normally make sense but because they've dieted so much their metabolic rate is so low what do you do in that case okay so I have some mixed opinions on this um the research is mixed as far as does yo-yo dieting negatively impact future weight loss cycles. So if you have a more of a crash dieting history and have experienced drastic weight fluctuations over the years, does it make your body more resistant to shedding body fat in what should be a calorie deficit later on? Um, My experience, my practical experience working with clients indicates that yes, they do have a harder time. Um, But my friend Spencer, the doc who lifts, doesn't agree. And the other thing we should take into consideration is okay, maybe we put them on 1,500 calories and they say they're eating that much, but there's also the phenomenon of underreporting of calorie intake, which is a huge problem. And maybe it's the case that people who yo-yo diet more underreport more. So that's another huge compounding variable. And it's very difficult to verify, are you being honest with me or not? Because that can be happening um, on a conscious level, like I'm knowingly straight up lying to your face because I don't want to admit that I'm not being compliant. Or it could be unknowing where they straight up forget that they put a half a cup of half and half in their coffee every morning and they forget that they're mindlessly eating M&Ms at their desk. Um, so it could be either or. So there's that as well. Um, but taking that out, assuming that they are being honest and they are accurately tracking, 
that does happen. Um, so my general recommendation is if you have a, have a, a pretty severe crash dieting history and you find that um, you're doing the same kind of method as before with what should be a solid deficit and your body's not responding, you can go one of two ways. One, you can um, try to be a little more extreme, maybe drop it down temporarily for a short period of time. Let's, let's say like we go 1,200 calories and see what happens. Does your body then respond? Um, or two, take a long, long, long dieting break. A lot of, some people should not be dieting. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've written about this before, just because a lot of people are pursuing fat loss doesn't mean it's appropriate for you right now. And there may be some red flags. So what might help is to, and I had, I've done this with a few clients before where I'm like, okay, well, your body's not responding. So we should take at least a year off. And for me, convincing them to even do this can be the hardest part because so many women in particular, they've been trained to think, okay, if I'm not actively dieting, then I'm piling on tons of weight. It's this either or, again, the dichotomy, right? So they don't think, oh, well, weight maintenance is also an option. And doesn't doesn't even cross their minds. And I'm like, no, no, that's a really good thing. Not dieting is really good for your body because guess what? Your body does not like to diet. Mm -hmm. And if we can get you eating enough calories for a respectable period of time, that may be enough to reset your hormones, to tell your body, hey, stop freaking out, we're okay. And then later on, when we try to diet again, that may be when your body finally does respond. And I've had this happen very successfully with numerous clients. Um, and, and as far as you know, time length, I like to say you know, at least a year. But again, if you have like a 20 year crash dining history, you're probably gonna need longer than that, maybe two, three, four years. And it sounds terrifying, but, you know, a lot of good things come out of being in maintenance mode. A lot of good things come out of eating enough calories. You'll probably notice your energy levels are much better. Your workouts are a lot better. You're gaining strength. Your quality of life improves. You have way more flexibility to enjoy your meals. You get your personality back. All these things, your libido, like all these, these things are huge that a lot of people, when they're obsessed with fat loss, they don't think about these massive benefits that they're missing out on. So it's very much a case by case basis. And um, I, I like the other thing I will say is my favorite type of client to work with if their goal is fat loss is someone who has never dieted before. Mm -hmm. If you have no dieting history, you're going to respond so, so, so well to yeah. fat loss. And that is really, really fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because I think the buy-in for just maintaining for a year is like, oh, well, I have this vacation coming up or I have this wedding that I'm going to. And it's always this next event mentality of, well, I have to look like this for this event. And the thought of I'm going to stay here for the entire year and have to go on vacation looking like this and have to go to that wedding. And I yeah. think so often people are just chasing that five or 10 pounds or even 15 or 20 pounds instead of just sitting there for a little bit being okay with showing up at a larger dress size for that particular wedding it is no big deal there's going to be the rest of your life for that but it's that always that next thing especially with I always see that with women they're always thinking about the goal being that thing where they're going to have to either wear the bikini or wear the dress and they want to look like this certain way right right and I, I totally understand it but I also feel like it's worth unpacking the like, why, why do you want to look a certain way for that vacation so badly? And do you really feel like it'll make or break your entire vacation experience if you don't reach your goal? And one of my favorite things is when I can see, um, I, I just love when there are people like, let's say they're at the beach and there's people of all different shapes and sizes rocking bikinis and they're so comfortable and they just don't care. And I love that. Like, look at their confidence. They, their, their enjoyment of whatever they're doing is not tied into how much belly fat they have. Yeah. And I think that's a goal that everyone should be able to strive for to where it's okay to set body composition goals, but don't let it ruin your experience because I guarantee you, no one cares about how you look nearly as much as you do. And so a lot of times it's just mostly in your head when you're freaking out about not looking a certain way or however you want to look it doesn't really matter. Like it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. It really doesn't. And, and five years from now, you're not going to look back and be like, why wasn't I two pounds lighter for that Hawaii trip? No one's going to think that. Yeah. You know? So getting them to see the bigger picture, uh, is really, really important. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can't you even attest looking back on your own life and your own dieting experiences that the times when we've been the leanest or the tiniest or whatever you want to use yeah. as a word to describe it, our quality of life was not to the same capacity. And no. I wish that more people would understand that, that like even for myself as a competitor, like when I'm 8% body fat, I feel like shit and my life is quite out of balance like I wish people would understand and know that your quality of life is so so important because 30 years down the line do you really want to look back at like wasting decade after decade being unhappy just trying to chase a certain body exactly and that's that's the part that many people they overlook or they don't even think to consider it and I definitely didn't that didn't cross my mind for the first several years of my fitness journey was, okay, what about my quality of life? Because a lot of times when people say they want to look a certain way, um, I feel that what they're really saying is, if I obtain this physique, I think my life will change in these ways. And I think I'll be, I think I'll be happier when I achieve this goal body. And when I achieve this goal body, my life will be so amazing. And what usually ends up happening, you know, when you get like contest lane is no, you feel like complete dirt. And, you know, when I, I haven't competed in, in a while, it's been almost four years, but I remember when I was prepping for my show, the last three weeks, I didn't move off the couch. Mm-hmm. I was this dead robot. I would do my workout and come back and sit on my couch mm-hmm. and I had low energy and I felt horrible. So even though like, you know, this is what we like, oh yeah, visually you look amazing, but I also feel like such crap. And, um, most people feel much better with some healthy body fat on their frame. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Think, clearing up those misconceptions, I think, is really, really, really important. And um, as well, it's, you know, obviously we all have our different like genetics and body fat set points and so on. And for one person to get to a certain level of leanness may be easier um, than someone else, than person B. And the person B may have to be a lot more um, strict with their methods, restrictive, and may have to give up more in their life to get that same level of body fat. And to them, it honestly, it's like, okay, is it worth the trade-off to have to give up your weekend margaritas um, to look just a little bit leaner? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's not, it's not worth it. You know, I'll have people who are like, well, I'd rather be able to eat this chocolate and wine and enjoy myself and not have insane cravings mm-hmm. and have this extra body fat on me. That's worth it to me. And getting people to understand, okay, what is the trade-off you're willing to make? Um, sometimes just bringing it up can be enough for them to be like, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And picking and choosing maybe the things that you – like what are the foods and, and beverages that truly bring you joy and being okay with enjoying those things versus saying, oh, okay, I really enjoy chocolate, but I'm never going to have chocolate for the rest of my life, even though it's something that you, that, that you really enjoy having, right? Right. And you're like, okay, is that a life that you really want to live if, if you can't eat your favorite foods? I yeah. don't think so. And um, that brings up you know, what's called the uh, hot, cold empathy gap. In psychology, and it talks about, it's actually a study done in smokers, but uh, very much applies to other realms too, is when we're right now, let's say like, you know, right now I'm well fed, I'm not dieting, I slept great, I have great energy levels, I'm in an amazing mood. Okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm thinking about my next diet. Uh, I'm going to restrict all the, I'm going to have the six item food list, go on an 800 calorie diet, da 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 When, when we set these kinds of goals, we fail to, because we're now in a, uh, in this comfortable situation, it's really difficult for us to empathize with how difficult and uncomfortable a certain situation is going to be in the future, which is why we so often we're like, oh yeah, I'll have no problem cutting out chocolate for the next 12 weeks. And then when it actually happens, we're like, oh my God, it feels so much worse than I actually ever could have thought. Mm -hmm. So this happens all the time where people set way too lofty uh, goals and utilize way too lofty methods because they don't understand how hard it's actually going to be. And so this is why a lot of times we have like New Year's resolutioners giving up so soon um, because they're oftentimes very unrealistic with their programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when they fail, you or aren't able to it's not even failure it's that they're not able to follow through with the thing that they originally intended the the that that feeling of guilt or that feeling of failure is like well why can't I just stick to it why can't I just stay on 800 calories and it's like because dude your body can't function right and it's giving you those signals but so often I think 
I think people just see that as being a failure as, oh, I just, I gotta, I gotta try harder. I gotta do better. I gotta yep. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, right. no, that, that, that's not really the case. Right. And, and that, you know, goes back to like the just try harder advice. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, what about the whole shift in mindset surrounding food? What would you say would be the foundation of building a successful mindset when it comes to dieting in general, Sohi? I think a lot of it is, well, one, understand, some of it is education, right? Is understanding, okay, what is flexible dieting? Oh, wow, I can actually lose body fat um, if I, even if I do eat a little bit of chocolate every day. And, oh, the research is showing that there's no differences in weight loss between people who are a lot more restrictive with their food choices versus those who are not. And, oh, wow, it actually says that long-term, the flexible dieters see better weight loss maintenance rates. So, and it's like, wow, this seems so backwards to me that eating chocolate regularly can help me with my long-term weight loss. Um, and then it's understanding, okay, now I understand calorie balance, energy balance. Now I understand the importance of calories and protein. And yes, food choices matter, but a little bit here and there of indulgences actually have no negative impact on my um, physiological health, but also may actually help my mental health. So, you know, when we talk about like, oh, food and health, how many of us don't think about what it does mentally for us? It's the psychological health that we overlook. And, um, oh, it helps me with my relationship with food. And, oh, I don't have to have insane cravings all the time. And um, it's these light bulb moments that, oh, wow, I learned these new things that I didn't know were possible before. And then it's, okay, um, I don't have to suffer so much to see the changes that I want. And it's not about, you know, a lot of times there's this mentality that the more you're suffering, the better res your results are going to be. And, um, you know, how many of us have like a coworker at work who brags about how restrictive their diet is because in their mind, oh, restrict, more restrictive is, is better, right? So moving away from that mentality and kicking back and allowing themselves to give themselves permission to eat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yes, you are allowed to have that. And in fact, you're allowed to have any food that you want. Understanding that, yes, just because you can eat something doesn't mean you have to. So how many, how many of us, you know, when they, when we learn about flexible dining, they're like, well, I don't want to eat pop tarts. I don't want to eat these things. Okay. You don't have to, but you can, there's a big difference there. Right. And also just because you want to eat something today doesn't always mean that you should eat it right away. Sometimes you have to wait till tomorrow. Sometimes you should wait until the eat weekend. And when you do eat it, maybe you can't always eat it in the quantities that you normally would want to. So there's still some degree of trade-off you have to make. Right. But when it's the whole, like when you see the hierarchy of of uh, of fat loss, for example, with like you know calories first and foremost, and protein, and so on and so forth, then you understand what is more important and what is less important. So you know not to obsess over the little things. So giving yourself permission to enjoy your diet, you're allowed to like the way you eat, and to um, basic education on nutrition. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that all the resources that you put out there in this entire space would be a fantastic place for people to go and check out. Now, I know you also have a book, Sohi. So can you tell us yes. a little bit about Eat, Lift, Thrive, what people could expect if they were to be able to pick up your book? Yeah. So Eat, Lift, Thrive was written, uh, published a little under two years ago. And um, it kind of embodies what at the time was my whole brand with um, training, nutrition, and mindset. So I would say it's like one third mindset, one third nutrition, one third training, which I really wanted to do because I wasn't seeing any books out there at the time that talked about like all three of them in one. Usually it's like, oh, training, oh, nutrition, or training and nutrition. Okay, what about psychology? What about lifestyle? What about quality of life? And so I wanted to address all those things. So it's very much a really good starting point for people who want to get into the world of fitness. And it kind of is a shortcut to where I am now and skips over all the mistakes that I made along the way so you don't have to make it. And um, I have things like here, here's a here's an exercise library, here's how to write your own programs. Oh, and here are some 12-week training programs for you to do um, so you don't, you're not so lost in the gym. Here are the basics of nutrition you need to know. Um, and it's, it's really cool because I've had people tell me, hey, I taught myself how to lift using your book. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. Or I, your, your perspective on nutrition – um, is so refreshing and I feel like you really get me and your writing is so relatable and things like that. So I would say anyone who wants to dabble in the world of fitness, this is a really, really, really great starting point. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of lifting, what would you say are the main components that somebody should be looking at when they're putting together a training program for themselves? Um, so it really depends on what your goal is, you know, what your time restrictions are, how often you want to train, your training frequency per week. Um, but in general, I like to put in all, I want to hit all the main movement patterns. Of course, if you have some injury restriction, then like, let's say you, um, have a knee injury, then you'll have to work around that. But I usually like to do some kind of squat pattern or a knee dominant pattern, a hinge pattern, like a deadlift variation, a good morning, uh, something like that, Romanian deadlift, a bridge. So a hip thrust or glute bridge variation, an upper body press, military press, bench press, things like that, push up, upper body pull, um, which is uh, rows, chin-ups, lat pull-downs. Then you have lateral rotary, which are the hip abduction movements, um, lateral band walks, seated band hip abductions, and then we have the core. You have uh, core exercises, the anti-extension, anti-lateral um, reflection, and anti-rotation exercises. So I like to have a good balance in general of all of those in any given training program. Mm-hmm. Now, would you recommend that people do body part splits or have you seen more benefit to doing full body training? You know what? I, I don't write body part splits for anyone unless they specifically request it. And um, the reason for this is usually, usually, um, especially for women, a lot of women like to hit lower body more than once a week. And, um, and I, I know you can do body part splits hitting a muscle group twice a week. Uh, but I just like to have a little more balance with each session. And I I noticed that um, you know body parts, but each workout tends to be a little more brutal because you're like obliterating a certain body part, right? So I like to spread that out instead. And as well, the research also shows that a training frequency of two times or more for a given muscle group is better than one time a week as far as hypertrophy goes, as far as muscle gain goes. So I like to get people to hit um, any muscles two to three times per week. Yeah, so I usually do either a lower upper split or full body programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, me too, yeah, absolutely. I would say, too, the the benefit, too, if let's say, for example, somebody's struggling with going to the gym on a regular basis, it, I can see more benefit in having them either have a full-body program where maybe they do miss a day throughout the week. It's not like those muscle groups are getting um, missed because they're able, right. to, able to train like that, for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little more about your business, Sohi, and uh, the things that you guys offer. I have lots of different services, depending on what level of help you want, how much customization you want, how uh, closely you want to be working with a qualified professional. Um, so I've got different ebooks. I've got my actual book, um, Eat, Lift, Thrive, which we just talked about. And those are more like, you know, like DIY products that you can do at your own pace. Then I have my different like one-off consult services. So if you want like a training program, but you don't want the coaching aspect and you're fairly independent and same thing for nutrition, I have a nutrition parallel of that. Um, you can, you can do a one-off service or you can buy a bundle, different consult bundles to where you can touch base with me every month or so. Um, but you don't get like, you know, ongoing support in between there. So that would be great for someone like me who maybe just wants an outside expert eyes, objective eyes looking at my progress but I don't need help with adherence or things like that. Then I have my coaching services, which is my highest tier. And I've recently hired two coaches under me. One is a physical therapist, one is a a certified personal trainer. And they uh, are now taking clients on their own, um, online clients. And you can work with one of them. I'm unfortunately not taking on online clients at this time, um, but they are. So you can work with them much more closely to where you have unlimited email support. So you can email them every day if you want. You have comprehensive um, check-ins every other week, and they are it's very much a hands-on approach for whatever fitness goal you have. So those are my main um, services and products that I offer. Um, and then, of course, I'll be doing some seminars this year and I have another product launching hopefully next month or the month after that. So, um, and then I'm also starting my PhD right now this year, which is why I'm not taking on clients. So, um, I've got, you know, a a few different things I'm juggling, but, um, I've kind of got an option that suits, you know, almost everyone, depending on how much help you want at, you know, what level of experience you have and so on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to get your PhD? I love the intellectual challenge and I want to be able to conduct 
research on my own. And I know that I can I can do it at this point. You know, I have my master's degree. I can do it. You can conduct research without having your PhD. But I really feel like there's a lot of valuable things I'll be learning along the way in the PhD process. And um, I definitely want to publish research. I want to publish original research of my own. And I love being able to read research and understand research right now, which is, you know, what I'm, that was one of my main goals um, of going through my master's program was being comfortable reading research and understanding the stats, for example. Um, but now I want to write my own research papers and be able to set my own research when I, when I talk about different concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very much what I want to do long term. That's the stuff that gets me excited. Yeah. Is there anything you can share with us in terms of the uh, components that you plan on doing your own personal uh, research with? Yeah. So not too much just yet. But um, so I got my undergrad degree in human biology. I got my master's degree in psychology, and I feel like up, up until recently especially, I was very much, much more known for my nutrition and psychology knowledge, and um, the past year in particular, I've really been making a push to talk more about training uh, and strength and conditioning, so this PhD will actually be a strength and conditioning focus, um, and I wanna, I'll be doing um, some training studies on women in particular because I think that's a very much under-researched area is, is getting the women involved in, in research. Very cool, very cool. Well, we will be looking forward to you sharing that there, Sohi. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be on today's podcast. We're just going to wrap things up with one final question. And yes. that is, how would you like to be remembered? I want to have a meaningful impact on the industry that's more than as a coach that's more than as a social media influencer i want to i want people to look back years from now and say this so he leaves this 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 person she really changed the tide of the fitness industry she really helped change the way that women exercise and we've moved away from circuit training and boot camps and wow look at all these women with barbells in their hands and not afraid to lift heavy weights look at all these women who have great relationships with food and um, focus on focusing on um, better habits and behavior change um, so that's the kind of impact I'd like to make I don't know if it's too lofty of a goal but it's what I feel strongly about so I think I'm just going to keep heading in that direction for years to come Mm-hmm. you're well on your way definitely with making that kind of impact and I think when we see so many leaders heading in that direction and that and that's really what I think the of the people that are making a big splash and big influence I think it's people like you and uh, that message is coming across really clearly let's just hope that over the next decade more people are uh, you know jumping on board and seeing how powerful that can be right mm-hmm Wonderful. Well, thank you for today's conversation. I really do appreciate it. And uh, this episode will be live on Thursday, so I will be sure to share it then. Fantastic. All right. Thank you. All right, Angela. Thanks so much. You asked some really great questions. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation as well. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Whew, wasn't that pure fire? Honestly, that woman is making incredible waves in this space. You really do need to go and check out her Instagram. Honestly, she has some of the best content that is on the internet. I absolutely think she is doing an amazing job. That's at SoHeFit on Instagram. You'll find all things training, nutrition, mindset, psychology. Like she has a great way with words and is really great at educating. Her content is top notch. So you really want to go check that out and uh Really just learn from somebody who is leading the way in the industry and leading the way in a really powerful way. So know that I absolutely love that you guys come and check these episodes out every week. means the world to me. So if you know that there's going to be somebody who needs to hear this episode, I really challenge you to post this into your Instagram stories. Tag me, tag Sohi so that we know that you checked it out and that you loved the episode. We love sharing with more people and that's how we're able to get the message out to more souls. So thanks for joining me. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, 
head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.